welcome again to the Industrial Solutions Network podcast called Connect Together. This is a podcast for all the locations, uh, CED, Keithley Patterson, Royal Industrial, Renson House, all the locations, Moe's Bar, Baldwin Hall, all of them of the Industrial Solutions Network. And we're here in Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska, at the Manufacturing Matters Expo uh, for the CED locations here in Nebraska. And, uh, you know, part of this is bringing people together. And uh, one of, one big partner of ours, um, our, probably our biggest supplier that we sell as a distributor, um, and what we go to market to with the most is Rockwell Automation. And we have the local channel manager, Sarah Mox. Wait, was that a fake? Was that fake? Uh, fake excitement? Because I am excited. It's just been a long day. Sarah, how are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm surviving. I got uh, some coffee delivered to me. I think that's actually going to really help me uh, in this interview for sure. Because my mouth is getting a little dry. I've been talking for like six hours, I think. Uh, but this is great. It's all been fantastic conversations and uh, I've been loving it. So what about you? How's the day been? Uh, it's been good. It was an early morning getting here, getting set up. And I too have been talking for the last six hours. <laughs> that's what we do at these events, right? I mean, that's why we're here though, right? Well, I think that's what I do in general, honestly, <laughs> is just talk all day because I, I uh, have a lot of great conversations with distributors, with partners, with customers. That's my job is to talk. Without giving away any names, what was your favorite conversation so far today? What was it about? Um, so Rockwell Automation has a great program. We're partnering with Manpower Group, and it's called the Academy of Advanced Manufacturing. And I think... You know, a lot of the folks in the industrial space are starting to feel the, the, the workforce gaps. You know, people are retiring. There's not enough folks with skills to replace them. And so we've developed this program to ultimately take veterans um, uh, that have, like, a, a mechanical or electrical background during their service years yeah. and then bring them in, put them through a 12-week um, accelerated course in automation and ultimately it's the same training course that our own Rockwell field service engineers go through so they come out with a certificate and they are ready to go into a manufacturing facility and support the primary tech you know plat technology platforms so you're of Rockwell. Not, so you're not just training uh, these heroes and veterans to work for you necessarily nope. just work for anywhere in the industry any anyone that has Alan Bradley installed in their facility oh, but it has to be Alan Bradley I get it so well, we're not going to train <laughs> them on Snyder or ABB because well, that would defeat the purpose, right? Yeah, I'm a little biased. I think it's pretty good stuff too. So oh, that's really cool. So how long have you been doing that? Um, let's see. I think it was introduced not quite two years ago and we've gone through six full rotations of that 12-week class. We have 100% placement at this point. No way. It's 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 really awesome, and I we're only seeing that accelerate. So we're talking about how do we do more of these classes? How do we expand them? Um, even to the point of, you know, if we have you know facilities that maybe have hired some people right out of college, maybe they don't have the military background, but how could we put them through the same training course to, to help get them prepared for the actual manufacturing floor and not just conceptually? That's crazy. How many people do you think uh, have been placed so far? Um, so each class is anywhere from 15 to 20, I believe, so times that by six. Oh, nice. Yep. Hey, it's each step at a time. And I think that's really cool. That wasn't even in my notes to talk about, but I think that's a fantastic idea. I think it's needed, and I think this industry needs it because, yeah, you're right. The skill gap is there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people retiring here, and we see a lot of frustration of, like, you know, so you have young people coming in, too, that are just starting to know that, and you have the people that know everything kind of retiring. Whereas how do you mm -hmm. fix that uh, sort of middle ground? And there's, there's uh, people that you can hire, but then there's also like third-party services, like what we already talked about with AIM services, Absolutely. that kind of fill that gap, even temporarily or permanently. Mm -hmm. And Rockwell's all in that as well, too, I assume. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm, CED is, is very proactive distributor. They're fantastic to work with. And, you know, some of your ideas are even greater than the ones that we, t you know, Rockwell brings to light. So, um, you know, Rockwell started working with our distributors, um, asking them to think about how they could add more value in the marketplace, how we could bring services closer to our customers to address these workforce gaps, to address supporting a facility, all these different technology platforms, and 
I think it's it's really awesome what what CED has done with AIM services because it goes above and beyond anything Rockwell could have imagined. Well, that's that's good to hear. Yeah, we've had a few people on <laughs> talking about AIM services, and and yeah, I mean we're trying. Um, you know, we're always just trying to figure it out and and try to find the services that our customers want and expand on them, make them better and better as we go, and and figuring it out. I mean, what's this industry like other than people trying to figure it out and move and try to stay up to, up to speed on everything that's happening? That's my segue into like what is manufacturing right now where are things going why does it matter you told me early before we started that you go into colleges and you're like this ambassador of this manufacturing industry which is i don't know if that's what you call yourself but that's what you you sound like when you're talking about it and you know um I, I agree. This is an industry that I randomly got into and then f just learned to just fall in love with it because it's so cool. And what's done in these facilities, what it matters to these smaller communities, what it matters to the people in these jobs, what it matters to just the functionality of like communities <laughs> in the world and the in the country, and it's it's really cool. So. Um, Ambassadorize me. <laughs> Bring it, Sarah. Well, you know, so I, I, you know, take the opportunity to do some community outreach. Um, <clears throat> I like to go in and talk with, you know, middle school students, high school students, sometimes colleges, just depending on where I'm at. Um, but I don't go in to talk about Rockwell Automation or, you know, necessarily go promote my company or recruit. But I'm sure that's always a segue somewhere. <clears throat> but ultimately, I want to talk about how manufacturing matters. Um, I believe there's a stigma out in the, the general public that manufacturing is this very manual labor-intensive process, and you know, no one dreams about having a job in manufacturing because, well, that's dirty. I'd rather sit in an office somewhere or, you know, be in a building or. You know, I, there's a lot of different things that you Being can do. Being a rock band, Re it doesn't, it's not easy. It doesn't work out, trust <laughs> me. So what I actually go in and talk about is ultimately manufacturing matters. You know, we talk about um, what is manufacturing and it, where it touches our lives. I mean, from the moment you wake up in the morning and brush your teeth and take a drink of water to the moment you go to sleep at night, manufacturing has touched pretty much every element of what you're going to do throughout the day. Yeah. yeah, it's something that people don't think about. And you go through life. And, and what every little widget and thing is produced. And how many different manufacturing facilities probably are combining to even get one piece of equipment like created for you. And even like, yeah, the water is crazy. Like, you know, you no one ever thinks about water, wastewater, but like how much energy and like equipment and people go into just getting you water. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it, the basic process is they've got to pull the water in from a source like a river. So they've got great big pumps pulling yeah. it in. Then they have to add certain amounts of chemicals to balance it. Then they have to, um, you know, filter it. Then they have to push it back out with great big pumps to get it all the way to your faucet so you can turn it on. Just don't forget to pay your bill. <laughs> 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 That's why you pay. That's a whole another topic about <laughs> water bills and stuff. We will not get into that conversation <laughs> for sure. But uh, um, yeah, I, I agree. It's like, and we always say that too. Opportunity is all around you, and uh, this is—it's all around you in everything you do, even the lighting up top. And it's never going to go away. And that's a cool thing. It's an industry that's been around forever and will continue to be. Yep. So, you know, on top of talking about where manufacturing is and how frequently we touch it, we also kind of talk about the new kind of industrial landscape that, you know, manufacturing is is not necessarily, you know, a dirty manual labor type of, of work and industry anymore. Um, you know, it's very high tech. I mean, you could potentially be an, a machine operator, but you're operating a million dollar piece of equipment and you've got to have some very specialized skills to do that. So I'm very much encouraging, you know, STEM type of um, education paths, career paths that could potentially lead you into the industrial automation space or just industrial space in general. Yeah, there's there's always fear sometimes about the new technology going into manufacturing, and, but it's what it's doing, I, what I hear from you, is it's creating new types of jobs, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's people that need to understand how, how the stuff gets installed, how you can program it, the software that's there, uh, understanding like the new technology and ways to make things more efficient and uh, cost less money. I mean, 
Uh, talk about that because there's a lot of people saying like, yeah, there's, I mean, you don't just pick up a widget and move it anymore. There's robotics and stuff, but there has to be people to create the robotics, manage the robotics, maintain the robotics, and et cetera, correct? Yeah. Absolutely. So <clears throat> that was uh, another conversation I had earlier. We kind of started out that way. We talked about what was your best conversation. We had a conversation about you know, someone mentioned, well, you know, with all these robots, they're just going to be taking jobs away. And I challenged that person. And I said, are they really taking jobs away or are they just changing the types of jobs that are available? And, and I obviously, you know, think it's the latter. Um, yes, some of those jobs are going to require very different skill sets because you're right. Those are the programmers. Um, those are, you know, so again, it's maybe not as mechanical. Maybe it's more electrical. Maybe it's more IT-based. More data. More yep. data. Networking. Big data. Pro yeah, for sure. Yep. It's changing. So <clears throat> that was my next question. I'm segueing yeah. into like, okay, great. Manufacturing matters. There's all this stuff going on. Changing skills, changing technology, big data. So what is you being in part of the supplier, right, with Rockwell Automation, and you being uh, this local channel manager, what is what is your role? What is Rockwell Automation's role in helping this as it moves forward? So I I personally say that Rockwell Automation is a manufacturer that supports manufacturing. Hmm. I, I know it sounds funny, but we're ultimately kind of that mecca of manufacturing. Um, and, and one thing, so traditionally we've been a hardware company, and of course we have software to supplement that hardware. But we are going through a bit of a transition into almost modeling ourselves more like a software company because big data, everyone hears big data, that, and the industrial market is no different. Um, when the more access to information we have and the better software that we use to analyze that, find the data points that we're looking for, helps us us, meaning manufacturing in general, um, make better decisions quicker so that we're more productive and more sustainable in the long run so, so we can be more agile facilities. So is that just on the customer to figure out to, what to do with all that data or, or uh, what are you guys doing to help out? <laughs> Absolutely not. So, I They're mean, not on their own. Okay. They are not on their own, not at all. We have AIM Services, um, which is fantastic. Nice, nice plug there, Sarah. Appreciate it. <laughs> we have AIM Services that can come in and start the assessment process to understand where you're at today and where, where you're trying to go. And then by incorporating different elements of our partnership network, which is Rockwell, we have our integrator partners, we have our OEM partners, we can help design that path forward to get you to where you want to be. Isn't that the AIM slogan? That is. <laughs> so good. Sarah, that's Sarah's role. She is our, she is not only the ambassador to the manufacturing market, she is an ambassador to everything that we do. We really appreciate it. <laughs> so, no, you're not alone. And, you know, between, between CED and AIM and Rockwell, and again, our entire partner network, we can help you not only identify where you're at, we can help you design it, we can help you build it, implement it, start it up, and support it in the long run. So we can really take you from now well into the future. So how are you working with a distributor like us uh, to help out the customer on all that stuff? You like us, don't you? Oh, I love you guys. <laughs> I've been working with you for seven years now. Love it. And I probably say as a channel account manager, I spend more time with the CED team than I spend with the Rockwell team. So when you say, how, how do we work with distributors? I'm like, aren't I part of the distributorship? That's, see, <laughs> but that's a great answer. And I'm, I'm glad you feel like that because it's, it's true. The fact that you know, you're embedded into what we do and you're part of this team as we, we talked earlier with someone about, you know, our goal is to bring people together to provide those solutions as well. And that matters. So, you know, we're going in there with the Rockwell, with the, one of those other partners you talked about, with the customer to figure it all out, I think is where it's at. And so, you know, uh, I guess that's what I was kind of getting at on <laughs> that question, I suppose. Well, I, I can say that, you know, we, we work very, very closely with our partners, and part of my role is kind of aligning all of those resources. So, you know, we, we all call, you know, or I should say we all support some of the same facilities, geographically speaking. So it makes sense for us to go in together. You know, you're not just our distributor. You're our partner. So 
So what's something you would say to a manufacturing plant or a customer or someone in that plant that's, you know, plant manager or whatever, um, that's, I don't know, just a little anxious about where things are going, like in the manufacturing world or like, there's so much going on, I don't know what to do, uh, you know, like everyone talks about all this new technology and it's like, I don't know, I'm just trying to go day by day, what would you tell them? Well, I would tell them, so well, I'll kind of back up just a hair. We, we throw the word migration around a lot, and, and not, we're not the only people that throw that around, but migration feels like a scare tactic. It, it, you know, that, um, that saying, well, your, your technology is becoming obsolete, you have to do something. But we really try to focus on what we call modernization, which, yes, you're transitioning platforms, but there are so many additional benefits to be had, productivity measures, you know, so ultimately getting to know what our clients are trying to do, um, how they're trying to do it, and how we can help them kind of can ease them into that new technology platform because, you know, we, we want to understand how they're being metriced and um, really understand how we can help you make an impact in your organization. So modernization is a little less scary than migration because you're taking the risk of obsolescence out and you're saying, how could you move yourself into the future? Future. That's a scary word. But, you know, <laughs> Rockwell Automation, you guys have <clears throat> done a good job um, figuring out what to do and being a leader in the manufacturing world. Where... You know, um, I know you're not in charge of like steering all of Rockwell Automation, but like Are you where, sure? I mean, I'd hope so. Uh, you do a great job, and I hope they look at you to like see where Rockwell Automation's going. But where are where is Rockwell Automation going? What I mean, if they want to stay in the lead of like what this industry is and what they can provide for not only us as a distributor but for our customers, these manufacturing facilities, where is Rockwell Automation going, or where do they want to go? Well, I mean, you've probably heard the terminology before, but um, you know, really our vision of the future is the connected enterprise. And that's where you have all of your different data sources, your manufacturing equipment, um, up through your MES layer, all the way to your enterprise level, talking together. Again, back to that big data concept, um, being able to tie all of those elements together and get a full picture of your business. Some of the ways that we're doing that, you know, we have um, factory talk analytics. Again, we're kind of moving towards being more of a software manufacturer versus a hardware manufacturer. Um, Rockwell has made huge investments in PTC. Um, some of you may have heard of ThingWorks. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the other platforms that PTC supports. So we are now a partner with PTC, again, trying to move the manufacturing space into the digital world. Yeah, the PTC stuff's really cool. I saw that at uh, the last automation fair and on one of our partners, Sleeve Seal, where they use augmented reality to uh, show uh, not only training of the of the machine, but also to show any faults uh, on like an iPad uh, 3D. So you don't have to actually go inside the machine. Mm -hmm. You can see it from outside, um, knowing where those faults are, which is really cool. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Augmented reality is going to be a huge part of that. Again, that's, you know, it's really cool from a tech side if you're a techie, but it's really a productivity piece, right? You know, being able to go instead of going and saying, oh no, there's a fault code, go look it up, go do all these antiquated activities, you're really bringing the plant floor into the 21st century. Yeah, and safety too. Um, I mean, Absolutely. if you don't have to, we just talked about that earlier, it's like, you know, if you don't have to open up the machine and, like, stop the machine to see, like, what's going on, uh, that there's huge value there. And just mm -hmm. training. We were just talking about the skill gap again. PTC can help with, like, literally almost ha close to hands-on training mm -hmm. where because it's showing you step-by-step -step on the iPad in 3D of each of these different things with arrows. Like, no, it goes here, here, and here. Like, that was, like, the coolest thing. So, like, how do you improve skill gap and how do you improve uh, safety issues and all, everything like that? Um, it augmented reality and technology is helping. So that's awesome that you guys are on board. So. Yep, you've brought it full circle. I mean, I think at some point we'll even be looking at some virtual reality, you know, and I think that comes more into play when doing proof of concept for, you know, different design changes or new machines, but all kinds of really awesome things. Holograms. Exactly. That's where it's going, right? I mean, Sarah Mox can just hologram into a facility to talk to people. Teleport. Is that where it's going? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I can now wait for that. 
Doc, well, get on that. Thank you. That would save me a lot of hours of driving. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, so... So for a manufacturing facility, we talked about all this future technology, where things are going, manufacturing matters, all this stuff. What is, what are like positions or what are like technology and education that these people should be looking for as they move forward? Well, the types of roles in a manufacturing yeah. environment, um, I mean, I, I think kind of... I mean, some of the traditional titles will likely still be there, but what they're doing is very different. So, you know, today a maintenance technician might be more of the mechanical nature. So they're physically working on items, replacing bearings. You know, maybe they're putting in, you know, a, a new drive or something in, into a panel. But in the future, you know, they're probably going to need to understand programming a little bit more. Um, and again, tying back into that connected enterprise, I'm sure controls engineers, controls technicians, um, robotics mm. technicians are going to be, again, I don't think robots are going to replace people. I think they're going to supplement people. And again, you're, they're going to have to really understand what is the robot doing, how does it operate, and how do I interface with this robot you know, to keep things going. Awesome. Well, I hope Rockwell keeps advancing and innovating and doing the right stuff. Uh, we're tied at the hip a lot of times, and uh, we're in this together just with all the vendors here at the Manufacturing Matters Expo here in Nebraska. Uh, we've got Rockwell here. We've got uh, all our vendors. We have our partners that are integrators. Um, it's been really cool to see, and I'm glad you joined us, uh, Sarah, and I'm glad you are you know, walking into these uh, manufacturing plants with us at all times and, and really know those customers and care. So uh, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time on this amazing podcast, I hope. Uh, and, you know, uh, again, this is the Industrial Solutions Network podcast. I'm Justin Brunken. That is Sarah Mox with Rockwell Automation. You can find us anytime on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can search for Industrial Solutions Network and find our podcast there called Connect Together. Um, again, we're here in Omaha, Nebraska at the Manufacturing Matters Expo. Any last words, Sarah? As we go. Thanks for having me. I look forward to the next event or the next meeting we have together. Perfect. Appreciate it. Always. Until next time, appreciate it. We'll talk then. Solutions Network podcast here at Manufacturing Matters Expo in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, CD locations have put on a fantastic event showcasing all our partners from the delivery partners to our manufacturing partners, our customers and clients. Everyone's here. Everyone, including Nate Hunt, has joined me now. How's it going? It's going good. It's, it's been a long day. It's a um, but thank you so much for getting on the Industrial Solutions Network Connect Together podcast. It is my pleasure. Where you can find on iTunes <laughs> and SoundCloud, you can search for Industrial Solutions Network and find it, subscribe, and listen to these lovely sounds of Nate Hunt and others talk about the innovations of the industrial manufacturing electrical world. It's amazing stuff, at least I hope. I love I, I love my section. Everyone looks at me like I'm crazy when I talk about my stuff, but you know. <laughs> well, it's because Nate here. So Nate Hunt is out of Omaha, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. uh, works with um, well, what what's all do you, what all do you do as a technical specialist and solutions consultant for the Nebraska area? So I guess you know I was kind of hired as motion the motion guy. So that's servo motors, gearboxes, stuff like that. A lot of the components around that. And it, it very quickly morphed as kind of the industry changed um, to cover robotics and vision as well. Because those are, I mean, we like to be a full solution provider. And to not have those solutions there is kind of a, a big dead spot. So um, we wanted to be able to provide that. And I was just the logical 
choice to put in that spot, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a lot to know, and, and there's a lot I don't know, too. So A lot to know. This is stuff that goes over my head. Yeah. That's stuff that's changing constantly and super fast, probably changing more than anything. Like, you can talk to, about, like, AC drives and, and motors and all this other stuff, but I feel like just, like, the robotics and vision have just been out of this world with data and how it's, how it's innovating, right? Yeah, there's, I mean, I, I think this is, uh, I guess there's both an in information. Uh, so we see, like, AI, for example, kind of popping up. Um, in like two areas, one is like information, right? Information processing, and this, and the other one's um, largely vision, um, and we see that popping up. Just, um, uh, yeah, just being able to make things easier for both end users and customers. So there's like three big trends in the vision, um, and one of them is AI. So like. There's been always the penultimate idea of vision, which is like to be able to use a robot to pick out of a bin just random places, placements of things, but it's very, very difficult with vision. And so huh. they're using AI in that in terms of being able to spot products and being able to adjust and learn the system, as well as um, if you say have a customer that uh, doesn't have a, maybe a ton of errors. So like with vision systems and testing, you have to have a bunch of bad products so you know um, when you're testing the good ones and you get a bad one that the vision system will be able yep that's the bad one for sure but you know if AI so let's say you don't have a ton of bad product you can just keep looking at good ones and then say um, finally oh that one was bad and it can kind of learn its own self hmm. as well as from a spectral and this is kind of the third area that it's kind of vision is advancing is for spectral analysis because a lot of times as a vision guy I have to take a product and I have to sit it down I have to try a bunch of different lighting styles colors all yeah. sorts of stuff and so um, they'll use multiple shots on a single item um, constantly to like they might shoot like a blue a red a green and then from like a circular angle as well like a ring light in different positions along that ring to basically then use the AI to analyze which vision which picture actually sees the image the best and so that's kind of where it's moving and so I mean it's kind of isolated right we think of information as kind of big but you know it's kind of hitting kind of low in the vision area and just this single analysis of these details that's interesting I mean you kind of got into machine learning right and so is I mean is yeah. that is that actually like happening is how accurate is it is it moving forward because uh, I mean a lot of vision and what we've done in the past is like it's it's exact programming you have to be pretty particular to make things you know, work, right? So, actually, you actually bring up another thing that's funny that's coming in robotics in terms of, I'm not sure it actually falls into the machine learning um, area, but it's, or AI, it's kind of funky, but they're finding ways to make things easier to use. Um, I mean, it started kind of with collaborative robots, but I'll talk about just kind of the add-on to a collaborative in a little bit, um, and kind of, it's kind of like machine learning. It looks like machine learning. It's not really, hmm. but, um, yeah, it, primarily, primarily with um, vision systems, it is... They say AI. There's such a fine line, and with, I think sometimes when marketing people get a hold of AI, is a little Watch bit more. Watch what kept. you say. <laughs> Watch <laughs> what you say, Nate. Oh yeah, marketing people are always 100% accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, definitely don't agree with that uh, for sure. So sometimes, uh, I, I, a lot of people say AI. I think it's probably actually machine learning. Um, and the, the, the algorithmic difference is, is small uh, in terms of from what we see, from what I see. I don't see the internals, so I don't know what actually is running in there. So I'll say it, just because they say AI, it's AI but and not machine learning, but I'm guessing some of it's probably machine learning. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, you know, okay. With I'm, the pseudo-machine learning, <laughs> how... <laughs> I love it, yeah. Uh, how does that benefit the customer right now? Um, so that benefits the customer. Kind of what I talked about in terms of one, you know, they might not have to have a bunch of bad product to mm. know for testing purposes. Um, but in the spectral analysis, um, vision, for example, is uh, historically extremely finicky, um, especially with lighting. Um, and it's uh, vision is I, I, I don't know 80% lighting, just getting the right picture within your camera, um, and so. Uh, and you do photography, right? I do. Yeah, I, so I dabble. Kinda, I'm not very good. Okay. So you kind of understand. We, I mean, we come at it from very different perspectives, but, um, I, you know, I just want a consistent image every time, and right? But mm. um, there's a lot of famous stories of Envision systems, you know, whether it's, you know, a fork truck passing and the light from the fork truck flashing its thing gets inside the camera and it messes up the whole vision. Or um, Interesting. There's actually a customer of ours that uh, there was every time the supervisor walked past, they'd start getting um, rejects. Um, and it was because 
they wore a blue vest and the blue <laughs> from the vest was reflecting off it into the camera and it was screwing up right so it can be very finicky wow um so um that's kind of the advantage of ai they start making fewer errors or they start learning like okay maybe that uh, maybe i come to expect this maybe like with that uh user example they could the ai could have started learning hey at this certain time, time i get a or even actually it happens a lot in, within manufacturing plants if they have a, you know overhead window if they don't actually shield their system from overhead light they will um like as the day progresses maybe they get you know the sun just shines at a certain time of day right in perfectly and hits the thing and then they get different lighting and it screws up right an ai could actually potentially learn something like that wow and, and that's so hard to know when most of those machines are built outside of the plant correct mm -hmm. yeah and so then they move in it's like oh yeah now what? Uh, no one thinks about that stuff and, and kind of the last I mean, i'm sure there's tons of areas but one that i can kind of think of off the top of my head is um, a lot of the times especially on a conveyor um for like end of packaging and stuff like that when you're maybe you, you have multiple lines on a conveyor um, that you're inspecting or something like that with an ai um, typically with hard vision hard coded vision it would have to say and you could do it it'd be difficult but you could do it of saying um sorting um a different so saying like oh if i have this size box i'm going to inspect these things right right now that's fairly difficult to code i think you could do it uh, hmm. i'd have to have some weird interface but with an ai it could quickly hey, don't question yourself you could do it I, uh, i'm i'm trying to go in my I, this is off the spot so oh, i'm trying oh, to think how i would coding do it. it right now in your head Nate. <laughs> hey, i'm trying to figure out how i would do it and i think i could i know i know it's the podcast it's not video but i'm seeing these numbers and like these lines pop up above his head i know it's crazy but it's happening right now I, i'm just trying to put together how, like the actual system of how I, would do it. I think uh, it wouldn't be easy and AI could be potentially be very simple <laughs> not that AI is always that simple but it, uh, it has the potential uh, <laughs> anyways um, but actually to your point of, of things that kind of look like machine learning and you, and I brought up briefly collaborative and I just want to bring it up because uh, I was at automate 2019 this year and it, if anyone didn't get to go they host every two years super cool it's they, they kind of showed a lot of these uh, vision innovations um, they also had some few robotic and actually the coolest one I saw, and I just, I have to bring it up to everyone, I'm sure everyone doesn't care, but uh, <laughs> uh, was... No, this is the demographic of this podcast, oh, okay, perfect, this podcast perfect. by the so, way. So, uh, I think, actually, I was on this podcast, what, like last year sometime, and I brought up Collaborative Robots as kind mm. of where it's moving. So, it's in addition to Collaborative. So, a lot of times with Collaborative Robots, they're very slow, or they're, uh, we still kind of run into the slow thing, but... Um, they they can't really work with industrial robots. You can't really just do it with any robot. But let's say you want to retrofit your system, and you can't just throw something in there. Or I already have this expensive robot. I mean, sometimes people pay you know millions of dollars for this robotic cell. And so um, there's this new company called Real Time Robotics. They're brand new, um, and they actually use vision cameras to actually figure out where the robot is and where obstructions are. And they change the motion planner real time. Um, to actually move the robot around people. It huh. sounds funky, um, but like you can have an industrial robot, right? So let's say you have a big, um, I'll use Fanuc because they're in Comics Bar, or Denso. They, I don't, Denso actually just came out with a collaborator, but let's say a bigger Denso. Yeah. That typically you need a hard guard all around it, or you have to have safety mats so when I get close, yeah. it just stops moving, right? In this case, you could have these cameras set up to where when you walk around it, it keeps moving, but it actually doesn't follow its programmed path. It changes the program around you, or you reach in and it moves around your arm. Or even if you have two robots together working in the same cell, you don't no longer, actually, I think uh, Tesla, or someone had it, where they basically, they had a bunch of robots in the same cell. They tried to pack a bunch in there, and they ended up colliding, right? This In this system, and granted, there's ways to get around that with the with, uh, you know, emulate 3D and stuff like that with software. We can talk about that in a little bit, but um, <laughs> are we? <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of also how Rockwell's kind of approaching some of these problems. Yeah, that's is we'll get to that. Simulation, um, but yeah, they they would they would see each other before they hit each other and then just change their path around each other, sort of a thing. And it's kind of just really interesting how that's kind of how progressed. how can a customer trust that like honestly right because so they're getting certified uh and you kind of have to trust the certification see i know so it's like <laughs> you know you have mats and uh cages for reasons because they there could be good. some big damage there if if mm -hmm. anything goes wrong so if it's learning um because you can't program a person to be in this random place and so the the thing is just kind of understand if something's there and it moves like how do you how can you have people trust that as a customer 
Uh, I'm not quite sure the question. How do you trust it? Um, I guess trial and uh, just watching it. I <laughs> trial and error. Don't <laughs> <say>. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Um, the certification is kind of how it works. I mean, how do how do people trust collaborative robots to start? It was just kind of yeah. seeing is believing almost. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I was blown away when I saw the demonstration of it, you know working with a you know a, actually see, being able to see it change its program as it's going is is beautiful really it was it was they had a tiny little booth i think they're a brand new startup but it was just like they had a huge crowd around their little booth at this uh, at automate just because it was uh it's like what is this, this is the craziest thing yeah. and it's i mean it was seeing is believing yeah i, I kind of videos online but it's yeah i kind of liken it to like uh driverless cars right mm -hmm. so yeah. it's like you know it, of course it's programmed to like follow all these lines and it changes and it has all these rules yeah. and it is pretty safe but like no human like a lot of humans don't trust it it's like no i need <laughs> to be behind the wheel in case something happens it's like i feel like that's a similar sort of situation with some of these robotics it's like well i still need to have a mat there because i just don't trust it yeah it's it's <laughs> yeah there was a customer in town that uh they they had a collaborative robot but it bumped someone they're like we don't want to bumping anyone i was like well that's the point <laughs> i was like it's supposed to be to bump someone and still be safe that's it's, it's it stopped right yeah were they severely injured no okay it's just like okay well then yeah. it, it did what it was supposed to uh but they they didn't want it so like there's still the even it still persists the, that kind of idea that sure. things and i think it'll just take time more than anything and seeing is believing and yeah time yeah, it's good to know like all these different innovations of like where this where everything's going right it may not all be super practical now but like where are people going is good to know because you have to plan for the future i know yeah. i was talking to someone earlier and they have like breakers from the 50s but it's like you can't <laughs> run like that forever no and especially if you're going to compete you have to be able to have you're making stuff. me feel bad about my house by the way oh, what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> well so do i mine's a 1920s house <laughs> well it still has the fuses maybe you got the circuit oh, breaker i do it. have a circuit breaker oh, yeah let's see. lucky all right oh my gosh okay <laughs> This is so perfect. Yeah, you have someone that's like <laughs> talking about like robotics and vision. <laughs> it still has the fuse. Oh, I'm not allowed to change it, right? You need to be a certified electrician. <laughs> that's a good point. So, okay, so let's segue into like we're talking about all this future stuff. What is Rockwell Automation? So you work really closely. We do as CED and the mm -hmm. Industrial Solutions Network. Uh, we work closely with Rockwell Automation. What are they doing to be innovative in this in this world? Yeah. So there's there's kind of I'd say the biggest change that's coming is. I guess we're having motion in robotics is having its own little connected enterprise, as I like to call it, because sometimes we can feel a little bit disconnected. Um, <laughs> I mean, we need to be connected, right? The information, we, we, we're sending tons of information, but like it's it's very different from, from the other things. It's uh, It feels very different. Maybe that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> People start asking me questions about HMIs. I was like... I don't know. I, I, <laughs> uh, ask me how to, you know, tune this servo properly. I can help you out. But you know, yeah, what yeah. A, and same. You ask any of the other guys to ask tune a servo. The that's, best. That's why we have very specialized it, uh, solution consultants. Is so we have an HMI person, and it's like, oh, talking about servos, and we've got Nate. That's yeah. Over there. And so with that, within the servo world, it's actually be kind of becoming easier. Kind of, I, I mentioned the simulation software. So simulation software has been around for a while, but it's always been kind of disjointed um so in the past it's been like um so maybe you size the servo within solidworks or maybe you went all the way just all the way to motion analyzer to figure out what motor you needed and then you go into your program um or maybe you then simulate that motor and stuff within some sort of simulation software um whatever whatever you use there's a, there's a few out there there's not tons um and then you then have to also program it within your within your controller, right? And I have to know, for example, I have to put in my move specs. Let's say my motor's just moving, you know, five inches. I have to put five inches into every single one of those things. I'm, I'm tripling my effort. And so kind of, I'm not sure which direction they're going to start with. So Rock was kind of trying to bring it all into one. Um, one is emulate 3D. So, like, you can simulate your thing. So... Uh, they're trying to move this into like a motion analyzer sort of thing where um, it, it's almost it has a physics engine built in right so if I have a box moving thing the thing I can say my box weighs this much I have a pit, like I have a linear actuator that pushes it this far and it needs to like kind of punch it a little bit it can do the calculation there and so the goal is to kind of tie that into motion analyzer so I know what motor I need and also I already put that that five inches in I know how fast I need to make it according to my simulation. Why don't I already make that an instruction within my, my logic, right? And it's also kind of backward. The goal, I'd hope, I don't know exactly where they're going with this, but I hope it's also the other way around, right? So if um, in the 
past, you could also put in an MAM. You, you knew what you're going to program um, with the motor. And that's kind of what I have to do right now is I have to say, all right, I, have, I am doing that five inches. Maybe they had to guess. They're like... A lot of motion is figuring out. It was a lot of guesswork, honestly. It was just like, <laughs> it's like, you know, I think it's going to move about this far. Is, is that worst case scenario? Yeah. Okay, maybe maybe make it seven inches. And it's like, what's my job? <laughs> I just guess a lot. It's being good at guessing. <laughs> my, my favorite quote about engineering is, uh, engineering is knowing which variables to ignore. Huh. So it's, and in this case, it's knowing which variables to maybe overestimate a little bit. Because knowing what your company does. So a lot of customers, they'll be like, you know, this probably weighs 20 pounds. And that's probably all we need to move but they're probably going to move to 40 so let's plan for 40 or <laughs> maybe 25 or whatever you know stuff wears down and stuff gets more difficult so they so anyways there's that estimation to get in motion analyzer i put it in there and in the past you could i'm hoping it might go this way this might be the easier way to start is dumping that information into uh logics and then dumping that logics into your kind of simulation i'm not sure how they're going to all tie it together but hmm. it's kind of where it's moving um and then there's the kind of the whole innovation of not only tying it into emulate, but uh, emulate 3D, which is the company Rocco purchased in terms of simulating. And you can actually like, uh, they have a pretty cool demo where, you know, you unplug your controller and then, you know, the machine stops moving. And so it's, it's, it's real um, integration and implementation of your code and troubleshooting of your code is kind of the important part too um, for integrators um, and OEMs. But uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So, so kind of with that, they're trying to tie it all in together. So, even within the motion world, we've been very, we've been very disjointed, right? So we have the Rockwell stuff, and then we, you know they bought um, like Jacob, I think it's called Jacob in, Jacobs Engineering a while back, huh. Magnum Magnum Mover Light, um, Quickstick products, and iTrack products. So it's basically smart cart technology. So um, you can cut down your footprint of like let's say it's an indexing table you have, um, and you have one station that takes way longer, right? iTrack can queue stuff up, and it's basically you can have a bunch of things on a track that uh, are very independent. They're tra they're traceable, they're trackable. Um, they're, they can sync up with a robot or something, so you can do stuff while stuff is moving on a conveyor. You can be working on it, right? So um, there's, uh, and it can be very, very precise too. So that's kind of the advantage. And they're kind of tying that all into one architecture. So even like with the Kinetics 5700, which is I, I work with a lot, they're tying the power supply for the iTrack, for example, used to be its own separate thing. You had to buy it separate. You couldn't even... Like, you bought it through Rockwell, kind of, but it was, like, its own entity within Rockwell. They're kind of integrating it more, so now it's part yeah. of Kinetics, and they're bringing it into there. And how they're programming it, again, if you told me how to program an iTrack I, before, I would have said, um, it's its own controller. I'm not really sure, but they're kind of tying it in. And so I would now never it's... tell you how to program an iTrack. <laughs> not you, but someone. Believe me. <laughs> someone who knows much more than I, at least. <laughs> um, our essay in the area is, has a lot of experience with it, but they're, they're tying it all into a lot Projects, AOIs and being able to kind of what I was talking about moving that from that simulation to the program they're using um, machine builder libraries to kind of tie all those tags and there's a lot of AOIs right now and on instructions that kind of tell you what to do and how stuff interacts and it's actually kind of dumping all that from the simulation into those AOIs and it's kind of making those AOIs native to logics and that's kind of where it's moving to make motion just easier to program which was kind of I mean, we see that throughout. I mean, I think a lot of people are moving that way. It's like, how can we make this easier to program? I mean, that, we see that in robotics. You see that in, in Rockwell's iTrack and stuff like that with the machine builder library. And so that's, it's a general trend. And I mean, at Automate, I think uh, I'd say almost like 20%, 50% of the robotic vendors or like that had stuff around robotics was specific like how can we make it easier to to program something whether it was a simulation software or it was kind of like i mean there's yeah. companies similar to emulate um and then there's stuff that uh, programming profiles and stuff can be very complex within robots especially for like a six axis system but anyway so there's a lot of a lot of things that are making stuff easier actually sorry a quick just make a reminder there's actually a really cool one where uh so the second coolest that was automated was actually a joystick so a lot of times they'll have teach pendants for robots but this one was like a it was a joystick like kind of an old school not like atari but like a you had a gamecube or playstation kind of like a little yeah. fun thing but it also was an accelerometer within this joystick so you could like you move it forward it moves forward you move the joystick back it moves back and so it was almost like a real hand to teach it and it was a teach pendant and you only had to have one it was super cool because a lot of the times you can like jog it on a teach pendant and that's up till now it was about the easiest way to program an industrial robot but it was really cool because you could more or less do whatever motion you wanted to and the arm would emulate what you were doing uh, pardon the pun there i suppose but um and then the joystick would get a little bit more precise but anyways yeah it's pretty cool stuff so 
to get past the skill gap, <laughs> you need to play video games, old school GameCubes. <laughs> That's actually about where I stopped. So I'm not a big gamer, unfortunately. But oh yeah, me neither. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I would not be good at uh, manning that robot. Uh, I mean, yeah. So Sarah, we had on earlier, mm-hmm. and she was talking about you know Rockwell's going to. It's probably a more software. Uh, company, not sure. a hardware company more. And that's what I'm hearing here. It's like everything's about software and, you know, all the innovations from all these people, if they want to innovate, they need to have software and they need to have technology, uh, data, all this stuff. It's not necessarily the hardware that they're uh, innovating on. Yeah, it, and, and I almost didn't believe when they first said, you know, it's going to be the software driving the sales of hardware because we've always been, always been the reverse, right? Yep. Hardware is like, oh, I oh, guess I have to get point. the software to, to move, make this motor move, um, which, I mean, it kind of still is there, right? I, I want something physical that's going to mm-hmm. do something, right? But it, now it's like, Almost the selling point becomes a software, right? Like, look how easy it is to integrate. I mean, you only have to simulate this once, and it's programmed for you, mm. or you know, whatever it is. And not, you, you don't have to go out in the field and then uh, with emulate, you don't have to go out in the field and then troubleshoot this yeah, thing less, for less two guessing, months. Nate. Yeah, less guessing. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, that's assuming uh, you know all the right parameters with that guess. There still might be a little bit of guessing. Oh, for sure. There's always fine tuning in the field, and I think that I'm not sure. Maybe it'll go away someday with AI. I don't know. But, uh, but isn't that everything? Like mitigating the possible risks and errors as you mm-hmm. move forward. And that's like all this technology and all the stuff we do is hopefully putting stuff in to mitigate any of those issues yeah. when they get into a plant. Yeah. Correct? Well, and, and that's especially like mitigating those issues. And uh, we're, like the emulate purchase, I think, was built one around getting that. Uh, Drive, getting the software to drive and tying it all together in a simulation because we didn't really have a good simulation. Um, and then two is helping our integrators with that that time and making things easier. So like uh, in a general uh, track of things, and I think I actually brought this up last podcast, but um, on Emulate because at the time Rockwell hadn't purchased it, but I was like, this is such a cool company. Oh, really? Yeah, I actually Did you call it. I, what did you call it? I, I called it Emulate 3D. What do you mean? Did I? I call mean, it? call it like you you predicted them. No, like, I, they were just an encompass part partner at the time. Oh. I was just like, this is the coolest thing, and we can't sell it. But I actually called it last time I was on. But anyways, <laughs> uh, I, it, just, it just came to my mind. But anyways, um, humble brag, <laughs> love it. Yeah, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> we'll see what else comes right. Um, <laughs> anywho, um, yeah. So having that software to be able to drive it, and I actually kind of lost my train of thought. But that's sorry. Okay. No, you're fine. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Um, no, we were talking about you oh, know. I do remember, okay. and I brought it up. And I, it's because I was repeating myself from a lot past. I, I've said this conversation before. Um, that's why it kind of came to my mind. So, uh, so like a lot of times on projects with SIs, uh, they have you know, let's say they have ten months to do it. They kind of plan it out at the beginning. Okay, we're gonna have you know, five months to, or like four months design, three months to build, then um, two months to, you know, integrate within like on the plant for something like, that's a terrible number. I'm just throwing out numbers on there. And so uh, are you asking, seeing if my math checked out? No. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't actually paying attention. I hope it adds up. Yeah, yeah. I was doing that. (laughs) So uh, let's say it was the 10 months, the five months. All right. So, you know, the design phase took a little longer. It took six months. All right. And the building phase, you know, stuff showed up late all of a sudden. You know, it took them, you know, you know, four and a half months. All right. So now that integration that was supposed to take two months, now they get two weeks. Right. Mm. And so then they're, they're working 80 hours a week in this plant for two weeks, two and a half weeks. And they're, you know, they're hating every minute of it. I, I know several integrators have had this exact problem, but all of a sudden, you know, in the design phase, you can start checking your logic, making mm. sure it's working well, start debugging, and making sure when you get into that plant with, you know, two weeks left, it's, you know, oh, I've, you know I finished it in a couple days. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, I think Sarah brought it up. I think uh, she was mentioning kind of that VR and AR, being able to walk around your plant floor, making sure everything kind of lines up nicely. Um, I think one of the things they first brought up in one of their demos was being able to stand at a certain point, needing to see a stack light, but seeing, oh, there's a machine in the way here, uh. design-wise. I can't my eyesight, I can't see that stack light. I mean, yeah. It's simple stuff like you that. You need to know that before you install it, because I'm guessing once you install it, it's like, well, it's going <laughs> to cost a lot more money and time now exactly. to move it. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's more built around making sure they can make those design, make those implementations and check all their code before, because it's, it's not an easy part, but it's the last part, so it's the one that gets shoved all into one little space of time if they need to finish on time. But anyway, so that, that that was the driver, I think. I was trying to come up with a name. I was just thinking in my head right now because we were talking about preventative maintenance earlier today. It's like, oh, this is like preventative installation or something. <laughs> uh, so that's awesome. Um, so, oh, man, I don't even know where to go. Everything you talk about is just so like 
over my head. There's a lot of tangents to go on, so I apologize. No, I think it's good. I think, I mean, you can really boil it down to like, you're, this is all software that's coming out to either make things easier for the customer. So like the, these uh, robotics are learning, make them safer, even though they may not seem safer to them right now. Mm-hmm. Software to uh, test and figure out any sort of issues before they install it or before they end, finish the design when it gets into a plant, correct? Mm-hmm. I know you said probably a lot more than <laughs> that. that that's but it's like, that's good. Um, and that's cool. This is like where the industry is go- going that doesn't uh, that wasn't around actually in the past, right? Yeah. That's making their jobs easier and makes it more efficient, effective, yeah. and helping uh, either uh, OEMs or integrators, I'm guessing. And kind of on that, that point of the OEM, helping our OEMs and SIs, it becomes an additional selling point for them. Like So, uh, I mean, it also yeah. has like uh, where they can help train their personnel on how to work on these lines, right? Maybe they could be selling that uh, that software package or that that emulation. So you know they have a guy, and maybe this is a continuous running. They can't shut down. They can have their guys train on that model that, that you know their OEM built for them. Um, that they they now have something to work on that uh, you know won't get messed up if they mess something up in the simulation. They can they can they can teach their people, and then they can also troubleshoot on it. So it's an additional selling point for our OEMs and SIs. Oh, for sure less money for the manufacturing plan like how much does it cost to have 80 hours of overtime always people like scrambling to like you know Mm -hmm. like one-fourth the time because they've already figured everything out before they actually installed it correct Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. I was talking more in training personnel that are new working oh, on the machine. Well, okay. that's another way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's two ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ways it works for well, our customers. Awesome. Yeah. And so how many how many integrators are kind of using it right now? Uh, that is a great question. Um, I know I've talked to a few just because um, it, it just because it is pretty powerful. It, I don't know what it started off pretty expensive, honestly, and I don't know where it's moving. Um, I, I'm curious to see how they change the pricing structure and how uh, integrators start using it. Um, I mean, actually, I know the the company that build that's building the uh, dome over the Chernobyl site mm. uses it just because like it's huge. They can't exactly just mock up a demo on a table or something like that. So they need to know that everything works beforehand. So like they're using. I'm uh, someone told me that. If I'm wrong, I apologize. Didn't but know they're building a dome over the Chernobyl site. Oh yeah, you didn't know. <laughs> I guess not. I think there's a new Netflix documentary. Oh, I know, I know there is. Uh, I just maybe it was just a it. YouTube video. I don't know, but. <laughs> Don't believe everything you read on the internet, Nate. <laughs> they are actually doing it. I, know, I do know that. <laughs> <laughs> So anyways. Um, well, awesome. So I know we've uh, been talking for a while. I know there's one product that you wanted to talk about um, that uh, was interesting. That We're going to do a, an insider post on this mm-hmm. and uh, to talk about it. But it's, it's, it's somewhat unique. But uh, also something that uh, you probably need to tell people about. And I like the headline. You can do the headline. But it's like, uh, well, go ahead. When is, when is washdown not good enough? <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of a <laughs> it's it's near and dear to my heart just because uh in my opinion uh rockwell's been very bad in the past about their stainless steel solutions and their I, if, honestly for our food and bev customers I, I almost felt like the server world was somewhat neglected hmm. in terms of so like the mps motors for those of you guys that have used it the stainless steel servo motors um not a lot of them. I think there's five total models. Actually, there's a sixth, but it's hidden. It's secret. They don't tell you about it. But um, actually, no, that's a VPS. Sorry, I'm getting off track. But anyway, so, so there are not a lot of models, and then they went to the single cable, right? And so oftentimes on a, on a, on a washdown servo, um, they're oftentimes IP69K, but like a lot of hard things with that. They might have some ingress points and stuff like that. There's new, and there's a lot of certifications that are going around. And this is kind of what this event is about. And I'm actually teaching a class, you know, what, 15 minutes on it. Oh, really? Uh, actually, 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I got, I, I got to be quick. But um, yeah. So changing the design guides and making sure, uh, and so like, sorry, I was talking about the cable. So the cable, for example, can go like 15 meters, get out of the way. Mm. Um, a lot of times we are limited to three and five meters for those, and then it's just like, all right, so you have to have a junction box that's safe that you can wash those down. And that was that was a weak point. So moving to the VPS was logical, but they had fewer motor options. So like with this one, they have our entire lineup of motor sizes, all the way from your 63 millimeter frame, all the way to I'm trying to remember if they go to 215. I know they went to 65, but um, don't look at me. I don't know. I know it's fine. I, I'm trying to picture the chart in my head, but um, so I, I know they go to 165. I think that's where they stop. So. And they also go up to 8,000 RPM, which is, again, previously we only got to 5,000 RPM. You had to go to our, one of our company's partners like Wittenstein to get anything faster. Yeah. Um, granted, they have a lot of small motors that work well for that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, so kind so, of the tagline, why is washdown not good enough? So uh, even with washdown, so a lot of our stainless steel motors, they have 
places where bacteria can get in. And uh, that's one of the biggest drivers is making sure they can't get in. So like your standard, um, uh, you know, mildew or something is about one micrometer. Is micro? Yeah, micrometer, micrometer uh, in size. And so the standard is you can't have any dips or divots within your a steel polishing that are larger than 0.8 micrometers, for example. So it can easily get washed away, stuff like that. Um, and then, the, you know, no curves. All, everything has to be like a sloped surface, so water can't just sit there and then fester, right? Um, uh, no steel on steel, con no metal on metal contacts because that can add corrosion um, potential. There's a lot of little things that yeah. um, a lot of the industry has actually come together to put these standards around that we're just finally putting something out there that says, hey, this matches. This is going to be great in your system. I mean, 52% of product recalls are due to bacterial investigation. I think there's some stats on like the 30 leading um, food safety pe uh, personnel, and they, I think it was 95% of them said motors and gearboxes hard to wash down. Um, another, or at least somewhat difficult to wash down. That's why I get the yeah. exact wording. And then, I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's some other ones. And yeah. there, a few of them were concerned about pathogenic uh, contamination as well. But yeah, and that's why it matters, right? So obviously, there's, it, it's not just stainless steel. Uh -huh. It's not just like slope surfaces. It's also the connections. Everything like that has to go into this. And and uh, to keep it, it clean, yeah. To keep it clean and keep your process clean and the stuff you're creating clean. And uh, you said it matters because, like, any bacteria and most of the recalls are for bacteria. And guess what? It's like there's hardly any things that get you in the news, but yeah. recalls <laughs> and foodborne sort of distribution will get you in the news. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's not just the direct cost of the recall, right? It's the, like you said, it's the indirect cost of you know your name brand recognition. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone probably knows what you hear Peter Pan. What do you think? Yeah. Not just the Disney movie. You yeah. probably think of you know the, the recall don't, back when. This is what. Don't let your servo motor be the reason. And you get in the news for the wrong reason. I, I don't like that fear mongering. So I also <laughs> I like to paint it as um, so. Let's say your washdown guys are a little overzealous or a little underzealous, right? If they're underzealous, um, if they're a little apathetic about washing your motors, they don't have to. They don't have to actually use as much water. They don't have to do it as hard to actually get it just as clean, if not cleaner. Yeah. Because um, I mean, there's smaller ingress. There's not as many ingress points. The the surface is smoother, so it's harder for bacteria to stay on there. Um, and there's a lot of designs around making it way easier to clean. And two, if they're overzealous, right? We've added a lot of design features to actually so it's the seal is ip69k natively like on the old ones you have a slinger so you can be like a direct shot and there's a lot of things and another one is like the cables go all the way to ceiling i, I mentioned that was a weak point um i mean a lot of these guys if they think they didn't break something i didn't think they did a good enough job and so <laughs> a lot of people would they cover stuff up with a plastic bag that stuff's not getting clean and so it's even potential for cross-contamination so it's it's making sure you know, your washdown crew doesn't screw something up. I guess it's almost like a double check. So I don't like painting as a fear-mongering of, we're trying to keep you from a food recall. It's just like, you know, it's, it's mitigating potential for issues, Nate, I guess. We can play good cop, bad cop. I'll be the bad cop, and I'm okay with that. All right? Uh, no, I, that's great. Uh, Nate, I know you have to take off. Uh, thanks so much for joining. Uh, how do people get a hold of you if they want to figure out how to get a food and bev good, great servo motor, talk about collaborative robots and stuff that's way over my head. <laughs> they just want to talk about vision and the future of robotics. And You're saying like my email and, and phone number? Yeah. Oh, okay. So if they, want to, if they want to get this stuff, heck yeah. So email me because sometimes I, I don't always catch the call if I'm working or I'm at a customer or something. So email me at nhunt at soulconnetwork.com. Hopefully you guys know the Soulcon Network right now, but if not, that's okay. So nhunt, uh, so November Hotel Uniform, November Tango at Sierra Oscar Lima, Charlie Oscar November, then just network, that's singular.com. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Well, Nate, it's always a pleasure. Um, I know you have to run and, and start teaching this stuff to mm -hmm. uh, eager customers and others and employees and everything. So appreciate you being on the Industrial Solutions Network podcast. I always enjoy it. These are fun conversations to figure this stuff out with you. Uh, again, you guys can listen to past episodes with Nate and even future episodes with Nate. We'll hopefully. Right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you can subscribe and, and view on iTunes and uh, uh, SoundCloud uh, to search for Industrial Solutions Network. And thank you so much. This again is Justin Brunken. Uh, I'm your host, I guess, that knows some stuff. But... <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I can't follow a lot of what Nate does, but really appreciate you being here and what you do. So thanks. All right. Thank you, Justin.